You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. In my opinion, bodies of water are the scariest thing on the face of the planet. Not only because of what may be lurking beneath them or their sheer level of being unpredictable, but what secrets are they holding? Lake Lanier instantly comes to mind. Not only is this body of water in the northern part of Georgia absolutely massive, encompassing over 38,000 acres, but this body has secrets. This body of water has literal bodies beneath it. Let's talk about Oscarville and the haunting of Lake Lanier. I'm Andre, and this is the Redacted History Podcast. The state of Georgia has always had bad karma when it came to how it has treated its indigenous and black populations. By 1860, Georgia's population was a whopping 43% enslaved people. And where did they get the space to have all these enslaved people on plantations across the state? Well, by forcibly removing Native Americans. Now, the Georgia County we are focusing on today is Forsyth County. That is named after John Forsyth, who was governor of Georgia from 1827 to 1829 and was the secretary of state under our favorite ethnic cleansing president, Andrew Jackson. The Jackson administration is largely responsible for the Trail of Tears or the Indian Removal Act that saw tens of thousands of Native Americans removed from their ancestral lands in the southeastern part of the United States and transported to what was referred to as Indian Territory in what we now know is present-day Oklahoma. Lake Lanier is, for sure, a Georgia landmark. But before there was Lake Lanier, there was Oscarville and neighboring cities in Forsyth County. And in these neighboring cities and Oscarville, there were prosperous black people, free enslaved black people. We have heard of prosperous cities and towns where black people made themselves sufficient with thriving and robust communities, despite the threat of Jim Crow, black codes, and racial violence perpetrated by white people. Rosewood, Black Wall Street, just to name a couple. And the city of Oscarville was no different. And you've probably never even heard of Oscarville because it's basically buried under Lake Lanier. Oscarville was a thriving community established in Forsyth County, Georgia, during the late 1800s and the Reconstruction period. It had a substantial white population, but it was also a community full of successful black people, black tradesmen, woodworkers, carpenters, and most importantly, black farmers. The interesting thing about the black families that were living and thriving in Oscarville is that many of them or their parents were only a generation removed from slavery. Their parents were either slaves themselves or sharecroppers, and here they were owning land. Now, what ended up happening to Oscarville? We all know that back in this day, if a white woman was ever assaulted physically, verbally, or sexually, the automatic culprit in the eyes of white supremacy had to be someone from the black community. And that is exactly what happened in Oscarville. Ellen Grice was a 22-year-old white woman who resided in Forsyth County and claims that on September 5, 1912, a black man entered her home in the dead of night and attacked her while her husband was away. Her husband returned eventually, got the news, and gathered a gang of white men to track down the perpetrator. 
With the help of the Forsyth County Sheriff, five black men were arrested and taken to jail. 22-year-old Tony Howell, 35-year-old Isaiah Perkle, 24-year-old Joe Rogers, and Fate Chester and Johnny Bates. The latter four men were listed as the accomplices to the crime. Two days later, on September 7th, word had gotten around and white people had learned of the arrest of five black men and formed a mob at the jailhouse in the city of Cumming, which was the county seat of Forsyth County. The white mob had grown to several hundred people and were circling the jailhouse ready for blood. When nearby black citizens had heard of this commotion and the reasoning behind it, they mobilized and made their way to the courthouse to stand in solidarity. The same white people at the courthouse had gotten word of this, and somehow, through a weird game of telephone, the words got misconstrued, and they were told an angry mob of black people were heading their direction to the center of town with sticks of dynamite in their hands. In response to this, even more white people gathered, and this time with guns. The crowd had grown from around 300 to now 500 strong. The crowd would finally disperse once the National Guard was called in. And that would only end the commotion and hostility, but only for a short while. The next day, amidst all of this tension and racial animosity, an 18-year-old white woman named May Crow went missing. She was a resident of Oscarville visiting her aunt, and it didn't take very long to find her. May was found unconscious in the woods near coming with her throat cut, and this Georgia town was riled up. May was unconscious, but she was still alive and barely clinging on. The search party that was dispatched to find May stumbled upon a small pocket mirror in the woods, but it was never specified how close it was to May's body. The mirror belonged to a nearby black resident, 17-year-old Ernest Knox. Ernest was approached by a white community member and asked if the mirror belonged to him, and he said yes. However, Ernest didn't know that this mirror was a part of a murder investigation. Ernest was then coerced and admitted to attacking May. It was common practice during this time for educated and racist white people to basically force confessions out of suspected black criminals, and most of the time these black people were innocent and were just afraid. After this confession, Ernest Knox was turned over to the authorities. Ernest was then taken to the Fulton County Jail to prevent a mob from rising up, but word quickly spread and he most likely had accomplices, is what everyone was saying. What happens next disturbs me every time I read this story. The next morning on September 10th, 1912, white men from the county imprisoned a 24-year-old black man named Rob Edwards, or Big Rob as his friends called him. Rob was being brought in as an accomplice to the May Crow attack. Edwards was the common-law husband to Jane Daniel, the cousin of Ernest Knox. News quickly spread of Big Rob's arrest, and 2,000 white men swarmed the Fulton County Jail. The white men dragged Big Rob out of the county jail and lynched him from a pole. After he was already dead and still hanging, they pumped his lifeless body full of shotgun shells until it wasn't even recognizable anymore. Keep in mind, this was done to the suspected accomplice of a suspected murder with no real proof. But all the proof these white people needed was black skin. Sheriff Reed of Fulton County would arrest three more black residents of Oscarville, Jane Daniel, 
her 17-year-old brother Oscar Daniel, and their 27-year-old neighbor Ed Collins. They were all arrested and sent to the Fulton County Jail, and the white people weren't just stopping at the hanging of Big Rob. No, they wanted all the black people gone, and over the next several weeks, they threatened and intimidated black residents of Forsyth County to leave permanently. They burned homes. They burned churches. They burned people. They shot at black people and black families. Many black people and families were forced to flee and leave behind their possessions, including their property. They would abandon their land or be forced to sell it at a loss. A lot of this destruction took place in the town of Oscarville. Residents say they fled to cross the Chattahoochee River, and when they fled, there was a mob behind them, and their only options were to swim or drown. And many of them drowned that day. Night riders came through. They had to leave everything. The main thing they left was property. My grandfather had 100 acres. So when they got to the Chattahoochee River, from what I understand, they were told when the mob got up on the bridge, they were told that they either had to swim or drown. Most of them didn't make it. My grandfather, one of them that did make it, he lost some brothers and sisters. From what my mother told me, buried all of them. He would sit and tell her this story, and uh, he would just sit and cry. You have a farm already going, and you had free land, so you just take it. May Crow would never regain consciousness and would die from her injuries sustained in the attack. She would die on September 23, 1912. And since she never regained consciousness, she could never point out or implicate her assailant. After May passed away, Jane and Oscar Daniel, Ernest Knox and Ed Collins were all charged with an original sex assault charge and now murder. They were held in the Fulton County Jail for a little over another week and then were transported by the Georgia National Guard back to Cumming, Georgia for their trial on October 3, 1912. Judge Newton Morris was chosen to preside over this case. He was a Superior Court judge on the Blue Ridge Circuit. The judge would appoint attorneys to represent the accused, but all of the attorneys refused to represent them. Now, just to recap, all of the people who have been accused were going to stand trial in some capacity. That's Jane Daniel, Oscar Daniel, Ed Collins, Isaiah Perkle, Ernest Knox, and Tony Howe. The trial lasted from October 3rd to October 4th, 1912, and the prosecution had a very interesting angle. They said that Ernest Knox, Oscar Daniel, and Big Rob Edwards attacked and sexually assaulted May Crow while Jane Daniel held a lantern. All of the defendants maintained their innocence, and Jane and Ed even had witnesses to corroborate their alibi. However, Oscar Daniel and Ernest Knox weren't so lucky. They were found guilty and sentenced to death by hanging. The hanging date was set for October 25, 1912. The judge ordered that the hangings be private and the only people who could see it were family and law enforcement. However, some of the white citizens had another idea. A day before the hanging, October 24th, a man named Ansel Strickland offered up a piece of his land to have the hanging his very open land, just going against what the judge said completely. But the sheriff tried to build a 15-foot privacy fence on the land for the hanging, but a mob snuck in the night before and tore the fence down. And coincidentally enough, the sheriff nor Ansel Strickland interfered in the mob's activities. Ernest Knox and Oscar Daniel were hung in front of a crowd of thousands of white men 
women, and children. They were teenagers, they were kids. By the end of 1912, many of the black residents of Forsyth County were forced to leave and fled to neighboring counties for refuge. A month later, a newspaper headline read, Negroes flee from Forsyth. Enraged white people are driving blacks from county. In the 1910 census, more than 1,000 black and mixed race people were recorded in the Forsyth County, with slightly more than 10,000 white people recorded. By the 1920 census, only 30 ethnic African-Americans remained in the county. And according to the 2020 census, today, Forsyth County is about 63% white and only 4% black. Now, where does Lake Lanier fit in all of this? Oscarville isn't the only place where black people were forced to flee. They were forced to flee all across Forsyth County. After all of the black people were kicked out, the white people would stay behind and raise families, grow businesses, and farm on mostly stolen land. But their karma would come some 30 years later when it was determined that the city of Atlanta would need a source for fresh water. And displacing people in rural and farming areas was an easy way to do that. The Industrial Bureau and the Chamber of Commerce met in April 1947 to officially move forward with building the Buford Dam, which would pool water in the Forsyth County to create Lake Lanier. The government purchased 53,000 acres of private land through eminent domain. And ultimately, white residents from the small section of Oscarville who had previously fought to cleanse the area of black people had to leave this property to birth the body of water. Lake Lanier has proven to have had some bad luck interwoven into it since its inception. I mean, the lake is literally named after a former Confederate private, Sidney Lanier. Between 1994 and 2022, more than 200 people have died at Lake Lanier. 200 people that we know of. 11 million people frequent the lake every year as a tourist attraction. And folks speculate that with a lot of people coming here to party and peruse and drink alcohol, people are going to die. However, some people speculate that the lake is haunted by the spirits of the restless, the damned, and the displaced. So, is Lake Lanier really haunted? I guess we'll never know. Until next time. If you like this episode of the Redacted History Podcast, consider leaving a rating and review. More importantly, consider subscribing. And while you're at it, tell somebody else about the podcast. Go tag us on Instagram at redactedhistory underscore and tell us what you loved about this episode or what's your favorite episode of the podcast. Also, if you want to support Redacted History even more, consider going over to the Patreon. You can find the Patreon linked in the show notes below. There's also new YouTube videos on the YouTube channel and more to come. We're taking a lot of the podcast material and adapting it into visual podcast episodes on the YouTube with a lot more ideas to come. I appreciate y'all rocking with me. Thank you for enjoying the show. I'll see you next time.